Hello and welcome to the Passion Fruit Podcast. My name is Ryan and today we have Jacqueline. Hey Jacqueline. Hi. Um, what is it that you are very passionate about? I would say probably one of the biggest things I'm passionate about currently is psychology. Okay. Psychology. Well, that's a that's a pretty broad subject. Is there some more specific things that we could talk about about psychology? Yeah. There'd be some areas. Okay. I think. Shame is one that has fascinated me. Okay. Um, validation, and that probably, I guess, ties into shame because validation is one of the counteractions to shame. That makes sense. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of other areas, but we could start with shame. Okay. I guess you're not excited about shame, but what, <laughs> what is it that you're excited about learning about that and, and understanding it? Shame is probably one of the biggest things that affects us in our day-to-day -day living. It okay. affects the way we act and interact in almost all of our uh, interactions with other people, but also with ourselves. So I think learning about shame, learning about how it affects our lives, learning about what it does in our lives can be one of the first steps to help counteract some of the effects of it. Okay. So uh, what what is shame exactly? Like my understanding of shame is that it's like if you do something wrong, then you feel ashamed about it and and don't want it to be brought up. Is that kind of kind of what shame is or is there a more technical definition? Yeah, no, I would say that's a very good definition. Okay. Um, the problem with that definition is it it hides all the other instances of shame. So that okay. would be one example of shame. Mm -hmm. So shame basically is the statement you're not good enough. Okay. So if you have done something wrong, you can feel shame about it. There's a mm -hmm. difference between shame and guilt. Okay. Mm. Okay. What's, uh, could you expand on that a little bit more? Yeah. So guilt is I did something wrong. Okay. Shame is I am something wrong. Okay. Yeah. So shame really is you identify with it. it it's very personal and yeah. it's, there's something wrong with me. I'm not good enough. Okay. And, and, uh, is that, you said that that's something that pretty much everybody deals with. Is that is that really like a, a pretty human experience? Because I know I know a lot of people that are very confident in themselves and think very highly of themselves, probably more than they should. But <laughs> um, yeah, is that is that really that that big of a problem for for people in general? Yeah, I would actually say, in my opinion, it is every single human being deals with shame on some level. Okay. Shame is the driver behind some of those people being overconfident. Okay. It's potentially shame that's pushing them to present that way. Okay. So um, I guess where does shame come from? And uh, particularly I'm thinking about the people who might, who might seem very confident. Where does that shame come from? I imagine it's probably from a bunch of different places, but like what is it about uh, humanity that would make shame so prevalent? So I guess if we go all the way back, like okay. origin of shame is mm -hmm. way, way back in the Garden of Eden. Okay. Um, when Eve ate of the fruit of the tree, of mm -hmm. uh, the knowledge of good and evil, the first thing that hit Eve and Adam was mm. shame. Okay. And so that's the origin of shame, which mm. basically as soon as they, as soon as their eyes were open to good and evil, to knowing what is good and what is evil, mm. suddenly they rated themselves on the scale and they said, oh, we don't measure up. We're not good enough, which is now shame. Okay. Okay. And so that that's the origin of it. And then that's kind of the the common experience that we know that there's that there is this particular thing that we should be, but we just don't measure up to that. Is that kind of yeah, okay. and I would say it also gets passed down generationally. So say oh. say your one of your parents felt shamed in a certain area, mm -hmm. they're probably going to shame you in that same area. Oh, and okay. so growing up, you're going to you're going to pick up on that and carry their shame. So I'd say it's a very generational thing, which I believe it came from Adam and Eve and has been passed down for every generation since then. Okay. So then is shame real? Like, because in a certain sense, uh, yeah, we don't measure up. We're not as we're not the kind of people the the as good as we're supposed to be. So shame, like legitimate and good. Is it? Can you rephrase the question? Sure. Let's see if I can figure out a different way. So if shame is thinking that we don't measure up, 
I mean, um, really looking back at, at as uh, from like really broad scope. Yeah, we don't measure up. We're not we're not the kind of people that we're supposed to be. We're not we're not good. Yeah. Um, foundationally. So is is shame? Is that kind of understanding? Is that a good thing? Or or mm. why is why is shame something that we should deal with and something to, yeah something to be dealt with as opposed to something that we recognize that's just reality yeah yeah no I hear what you're saying um, so this is where the tree of life comes in okay so we have the tree of knowledge of a good and evil which says here's your measuring stick I call the tree of knowledge of a good and evil the measuring stick okay so as soon as Eve ate from the tree of knowledge of a good and evil it was kind of like she got handed a measuring stick mm. to measure herself on okay where do you score on this measuring stick okay right so basically what shame says is you're not good enough you're not measuring high enough yeah and shame can be shame can be a motivator to okay. be like yeah. um sh the goal of shame if i could say it that way is to mm -hmm. motivate us to be better okay. if i shame myself for yeah. xyz mm -hmm. i'm gonna not do it again okay yeah the problem is it only works temporarily Mm. So what we want to do is move from the tree of knowledge of good and evil to the tree of life, which says you're not good enough, but that's okay. You're still loved. Okay. You're unconditionally loved, even though you're not good enough. Where if tree of knowledge of good and evil basically says, if you don't measure up, you're not worthy. You're not lovable. You're not mm. X, Y, Z. So is the only answer to shame God? Um. It's a good question. So mm -hmm. as a psychologist, I work with Christian clients and I work yeah. with non-Christian clients. Mm -hmm. um, and I definitely have to work with non-Christians mm -hmm. to break shame. So I would say the direct answer to that question is yes. Okay. But the indirect answer is no. We can break shame mm -hmm. outside of God, but I believe ultimately to fully break shame, it's it's through God's unconditional love. Okay. If that makes sense. I, I think it does, but let's let's get a little bit more into the kind of the uh, how do you break this break the shame? How do you how do you move from uh, the understanding that I don't measure up to uh, the understanding that that's that's still okay? I'm still loved. How how do you work through shame? The two things I usually work with, which mm -hmm. I see, which seem to be the most effective, is ownership and compassion. Okay, which is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I I, uh, I have a book. I can't remember the name of the the author, but it's Extreme Ownership, and so it's it's like taking responsibility for every aspect of your life. Is that kind of the ownership you're talking about? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Ownership and compassion. Expand on that a little bit. So ownership. So basically, shame shame can usually come in from something we've done or haven't done right. It's hmm. usually where it comes in. Yeah. Okay, you didn't. You know that conversation with your friend last night. You talked too much about yourself. Mm. Yep. There's something wrong with you because you talk too much yourself, about yourself. Yep. So in that context, you want to take ownership and be like, yes, that is what I did. Mm. So you're really taking that. I like the way you said that extreme ownership is like really taking ownership and not being like, oh, no, it was this. It was whatever. Um, minimizing it. Yeah. Is, so you want to take ownership. But when you just take ownership without compassion, mm. you end up being the villain. Okay. So ownership without compassion makes you the villain because, mm -hmm. well, you're a terrible person. Look at all the horrible things you've done in your life. Yeah. Compassion now breaks that and says, but this is why. I have compassion on you. I understand why. So compassion really understands the why and validates you. Okay. So compassion without ownership now makes you a victim. Mm. So you're a victim to the mm, circumstances. Yep. So you need ownership and compassion together to break the shame because when you're a villain there's shame when yeah. you're a victim there's shame okay you need both of them together which breaks the shame okay so then you work as a psychologist right yes so then in uh in working through that you don't need any specific examples or anything like that but like what how how do you how do you work through that is the is the case just like unpacking why why did this happen and then and then like reinforcing that hey you need to take ownership of of your own actions how do you yeah how do you help how, how do you help somebody else um work through those things mm -hmm. so one statement that i say all the time mm -hmm. is it's not your fault but it is your responsibility mm. and so it's something like and this is another example i use which is kind of a silly example but it makes sense if i want a door in the wall 
it's not my fault I don't know how to make that door. Okay. Yeah. But now it's my responsibility to learn how and figure out how to make that door. Okay. So basically the compassion piece is it's not your fault. Hmm. So the compassion piece is understanding this is the way I was raised. These are the patterns in my childhood. This is the, the patterns that I learned from my parents, the roadmap I created to do life. Mm-hmm. And now I've taken this roadmap into my life with me. And now I'm just following this roadmap. It's not my fault. That was the roadmap I was I was taught. Yeah. Um, so that's not my fault. But okay. now it's my responsibility to do something about it if I don't like the results of it. Okay. So then I guess kind of the next thing I'm wondering is what's uh what's kind of the next steps after that is is uh once you've once you've taken ownership and once you understand and have the compassion for yourself in that way uh what's kind of the next step once you've dealt with that shame is it that there's always this other aspect that we need to deal with or is there something that 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 brings freedom from and that you can start moving towards after dealing with that Yeah, I would say once you deal with that, so that Mm -hmm. generally takes a very long time, especially the compassion piece, Hmm. um, which I haven't dug too deeply into the ownership piece because most of my clients Hmm. take the ownership too seriously and not the Hmm. compassion. So I focus mostly on the compassion piece. um, But I do have to make sure the ownership is not victim ownership, but clear ownership. If that makes sense. What do you mean victim ownership? Because you were saying that having too much compassion makes you the victim. So how do you have mm-hmm. how do you have victim ownership? Victimy ownership is is this? Um, oh, it's all my fault. Everything is all my fault. I'm a terrible person. Oh. I'm right. So now it's almost like it's it's a defeated attitude. Yeah. Okay. It's it's not the clear ownership of like okay no I chose to make that decision. I chose to do this. Okay. So I don't think I answered your previous question. Eh, that's fine. Okay. <laughs> We're just chatting. <laughs> All right. Okay. Awesome. Is, is there, um, yeah, any other thoughts that you have on on shame and, yeah, anything? Yeah. So yeah. I think your question had been next steps. Yeah. So yeah. Well, what are the next steps? Mm-hmm. So I would say the thing is we work on one area. And so it can take a very long time mm-hmm. to get the compassion piece down. That one's probably the hardest and the validation. Most of us are harder on ourselves than we are on anyone else. Yeah. And so it's learning to be kind to ourselves, learning to be gentle, learning to validate. This is, oh, I understand why going back to the example of you talk the whole time in the conversation with your friend mm-hmm. is like, oh, you haven't been heard or you haven't felt heard and this is why you're trying to get heard mm-hmm. or whatever the reason is so being able to validate have compassion for that takes it takes a long time and it takes a lot of practice so once you've got those pieces down i'd say then the next steps are finding another area in your life that you have shame in because yeah. it it's shocking to me hmm. how many hidden places of shame we have so kind of going back to your question does everybody struggle with this yeah. where it's like it's just shocking once you start digging how many areas in our life are hidden in shame that we don't even realize we're shaming ourselves mm-hmm. and it's uncovering and discovering. Okay. I'm uh, I'm actually really curious with, you were saying how uh, particularly with the clients that, you, that you're working with that they don't have any trouble or have a lot less trouble with ownership than they do with compassion. And it's interesting because from my view of humanity in general, I think that um, it, it seems that ownership is more of the problem that, that people are more, are too willing to become victims. Do you think that that's just, um, do you think that that's more generally true? And is it more that the people who are willing to go see a counselor, they're the ones who have decided that I need to, I need to deal with this or, or am I just, am I just wrong? Is it normally that people, uh, struggle more with compassion than with ownership? That's a really good question. And I guess I can't really say because I don't have a yeah, fair sure. sampling of the population because the clients that come into my office mm. generally are more the the codependent ones, the ones that tend to take ownership for their life, which is okay. why they're coming into counseling. So yeah. that could be a piece of it. Mm. Um, I also believe ownership, again, like I said, is is tricky because you can get the victim ownership rather mm. than the like clear ownership. Yeah. Or I, I guess in North America, I'm thinking that people are almost looking for victimhood in a lot of in a lot of ways. It seems 
Mm-hmm. From, from my eyes, at least. Yeah. So basically what I would say to that is oftentimes the reason they're looking from for it outside of themselves, they're looking for compassion, basically. Right? They're okay. like, I want you to see how much of a victim I am and mm. offer me compassion. Okay. Right? Yeah. That would, would that make sense? Yeah. So basically the reason they're looking for it from outside of themselves is because they're not getting it from inside. Mm. So they're judging themselves so harshly inside that they're like, I need somebody to give me compassion because I'm not getting any from inside. So now I need to get it from outside of myself. Okay. So now I'm going to project that I'm a victim, even though inside I feel like the villain. Okay. Man, that's a really interesting way of thinking about it. And yeah, I definitely haven't thought about it in that way. So then in our normal everyday lives, how can we help people, um, with that is it is it a case of just like uh being more compassionate about people is does that help with shame or does it does it have to be an internal thing for people i would say um it starts externally well it can it can start both ways you Mm. don't need uh, either way but in order for you to actually truly be compassionate on other people you need to learn how to be compassionate with yourself So in that question of how do I help other people, the biggest thing you can do is learn that validation and compassion for yourself because once it's happening internally, it will go external because generally we treat people to some level very similar to the way we treat ourselves. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. You you brought up a word and uh, uh, we were talking beforehand that this was another topic that, that we could kind of touch on about validation. Um, I guess, how is that different from, or explain validation, what is that? (laughs) So how is it different from compassion? How does it same as compassion? Yeah. Validation, I would say, is the feat to compassion. So compassion is the feeling, right? I feel compassion on you. Yeah. But if I don't say anything to you, you don't know that I feel compassion on you. Okay, you could yeah. maybe see it in my eyes, but mm. in general, you'll have no idea. Validation is the language. It gives it gives the language to compassion. Okay. All right. Fair so validation is more the words like, I understand you must be going through this, this, and this. Mm. You must be feeling this. Okay. It's the it's the validating their feelings yeah. to let them know that you have compassion. Okay. Basically. That that kind of makes me think of uh, of the the five love, love languages. I'm I'm sure you have some some thoughts on those, but um, yeah, it makes me think that like I I have a few friends that words mean nothing to them, and so then maybe that you need to take find out how to how to approach the different people and how to give them validation. Hmm. Does everyone deserve validation? Is that <laughs> is that something that that you should? Give to people? Um, I don't like the word should because okay. there's no shoulds as in life is, well, that's another whole yeah, topic. Yeah. We, won't, we won't go into the shoulds conversation. Anyways, um, giving people validation is probably one of the most empowering things that you can do for anyone. Okay. So there are some people that cannot receive validation. Mm. So those are people that have probably put their defenses up and they can't let the validation in because Mm. it touches on a place in them that's too vulnerable Mm. because it's very vulnerable to let compassion in because it means you have to actually allow yourself to feel some of your most vulnerable places when you let compassion in so so there's a lot of people that are defended against validation and so to give them validation is kind of pointless because they're not letting it in anyways with those type of people, I try to sneak it in. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How do you do that? Um, not as obvious, not mm-hmm. as like like direct, like, mm-hmm. hey Hand you on know. the shoulder, don't worry, you're you're amazing in this way and this way. Not so much like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But more just like I like the way um Dr. Newfelt says it. He calls okay. it touching the bruises. And okay. it's it's like a more gentle approach. Like it's like we're just coming in the side. And it's, it's very um, subtle. It's more like, oh, yeah, that must have hurt. Moving on. Like you don't stop. Mm. You don't pause. You don't, you don't let it sink in. You almost move on. So it gives them the capability to actually let it in because you haven't stayed on it. It didn't give them time for their defenses to come up. Okay. So it's a technique I try to do. I'm, not, I'm still learning, but try to do with some of my more defended clients where mm. it's just like this subtle 
um, validation and then I quickly move on. Okay. Because if I directly validate, you can just see the walls coming up. Yeah. I, I always run into this this problem in uh, in recording these podcasts is that that it the conversation just naturally moves into the next one. And so before I even ask the question is uh, what fruit has this brought in your life? And you're already already talking about how um, your understanding of, of particularly shame and validation and how how that changes the way you interact with your clients. But what other ways has it changed uh, your studies in psychology and more in particular in understanding shame, how has that changed the way that you view your own life or interact with people? Uh, what fruit has that brought in your life? I would say it's radically changed my life. Okay. Um, I feel like I'm actually a different person than I was before I learned a lot of this stuff with the shame and validation. Wow. Okay. Um, I used to be very driven, very hard on myself, very mm. determined, very, um, yeah, just mind over matter like mm. my my no compassion on myself like doesn't matter if it hurts keep going keep pushing through yeah um yeah i was pretty shut down to any of my emotions okay um and this is maybe broader than just the shame and validation but they were pretty significant pieces mm -hmm. for me in learning how to reconnect with myself yeah so reconnect with those vulnerable parts of myself that i had shut down okay. um and actually let myself feel yeah, because you were saying that shame is quite often uh, a very good motivator. And so mm -hmm. that's that's kind of the, the role that you've seen it take in your own life, huh? Yeah, good motivator, meh. It motivates, but it's a oh, okay. bad motivator because it's destructive in the end. Okay, right. okay, that totally makes sense. Because the only way shame motivates is when we're actually doing well. Mm -hmm. So when we're doing well, mm. we use shame to motivate ourselves to do better. Okay. When we're not doing well, shame actually demotivates us and causes us to actually completely stop doing anything. It's the whole why bother? I can't yeah. do it. I'm okay. not good enough anyways. Yeah. So shame, when we're doing well, like some of the most driven people you look at and could be like, oh, they don't have any shame. They're successful. They're whatever. What's behind that often is they're driven by shame. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Because the shame says, if you don't perform to this level, you're not good enough. So therefore, they have to perform to that level yeah. in order to prove to themselves and the world that they're good enough. Okay. So then, um, yeah, it puts me in a, a weird weird place because I'm like, a lot of those things that you were talking about, uh, about the kind of person that you were before, a lot of those those words that you were saying, I was like, oh, that's that's good. That's a good thing. You're a driven person. You're you're motivated. Uh, I can't remember all the words, but uh, but mm -hmm. there was a few of them that I was like, aren't those really positive things? <laughs> and so what does that look like now? What what kind of person are you now? That's a really good question. So the question, aren't those positive things? Yeah. Well, if I look at the fruit of them in my life, mm. they were positive at first. Okay. I did become turn out well. successful in yeah. a lot of areas. Mm -hmm. But ultimately what it did, the cost was my health. Mm. The cost was I ended up with like extreme burnout twice in my life now. Um, mm. Extreme, extreme health issues okay. because of not listening to my body and not listening to my own limits because I was driven by that shame. Okay. So in the long run, yeah, they can be good things. And that's why people have such a hard time giving up shame because their biggest fear is, Will I not be driven anymore? Yeah. Will I not be motivated anymore? That's scary. Yeah. yeah it's scary to kind of face that. So then, yeah. Uh, do you do you have a little bit of uh, hope, a little bit of light? Like, how can you still have those things, and what can motivate those that isn't shame? What? Um, yeah. So so you've you've changed a little bit, but uh, from what I know of you, you're still somebody who's who's willing to press forward. So what motivates that now? I'm, I, I'm sure there's still some some shame stuff, but like, how's that changed? That's a that's a good question. I would say the difference is desire mm. rather than need. So in okay. the past, I needed to succeed. Mm. I needed to. It was not an option to fail. And I had a pretty good mm. sense of like, I can do this, even if it kills me. Like, that's a side note. Yeah. Um, I will do this. Mm. Now it's more oh, I'm interested in this. Oh, I'm excited about this. So I would say I'm more driven by, I mean, in the past, I would say I was driven by passion, mm. but it was, there was that steel of, it's, if it kills me, it doesn't matter behind it. 
Whereas now I know my limits, I know my boundaries, and there's a part of me, and I mean, I fail all the time, but mm. there's a part of me that actually loves myself, and I feel like I can embrace life in a way that I wasn't able to before, that I can enjoy just being in life yeah. instead of instead of waiting once I get there, then I get to enjoy life. Yeah. Once I succeed in this, then I get to enjoy life. Mm. Now it's like, oh, wait a minute, I can enjoy the journey, I don't have to get there in order to enjoy it mm -hmm. it strikes me how it's so funny how a, a lot of these a lot of these like fundamental truths it's like it seems so obvious but it's so hard to to actually let that truth sink in because it's so like true yeah because that's that's something i don't think i've struggled with it as much as as it sounds like you have but that's something that i've i've struggled with as well of being like um losing my train of thought <laughs> shame on you <laughs> i know right yeah it's gone oh well <laughs> yep. let, let oh, me well. validate you for a sec it's okay we all do that sometimes it's, it's totally normal it's there's nothing wrong with you it's just terrible it's, <laughs> i'm trying to do a professional podcast here come on oh well yeah whatever if it comes back it comes back so um i guess i'm curious like uh what what more are you learning now? So you so you've got a better understanding of shame. You've 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 broken it down a little bit into ownership. It's and uh, and compassion. What uh, yeah. What what more are you researching? I guess or understanding. What's uh yeah. What's the journey looking like right now? Hmm. Specifically in regards to shame. Well, uh, not necessarily. Uh, that could just be the the topic that's uh, that got us started. But like yeah. What's what what are you focused on now in learning? Uh, right now, I've been interested in learning a lot about depression, anxiety, mm. um, trauma. There's been quite a few topics, actually, I've been digging deeper into. Um, but yeah, it is interesting how, speaking of shame, shame kind of weaves through a lot of it. Yeah. All. It's an interesting. But yeah, those are the topics I'm more kind of digging into right now. Do you want to talk about them? <laughs> sure. Which one? Um. How about anxiety? Uh, anxiety is interesting for me because I've <clears throat> I've had a lot of friends uh, throughout my life who've dealt with anxiety and like really bad anxiety, mm -hmm. but it hasn't been it hasn't really been a part of my life at all until last year and uh, in this year with with all the stuff with COVID and um, yeah the way that the way that I'm approaching life uh, in this. Hopefully, like in this new world that hopefully won't stay the new world, but I feel like probably will. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, let's talk about anxiety. What what sort of things are you learning about anxiety? Um, anxiety is a fascinating topic because mm. anxiety can be caused by many, many different things. So, mm. yes, a lot of people are in the same boat as you experiencing a lot more anxiety mm -hmm. in the last year and a half because of COVID stuff. It's been a very um, prominent thing. So anxiety can be brought on by situations okay. often. Now, now, I'm a little still researching on this, yeah. so I won't say this with total confidence. Fair enough. But I feel like a lot of anxiety, even when it surfaces due to a situation, mm -hmm. can be connected to um, childhood developmental issues, stuff like that. Okay. undoubt with emotion etc hmm. so here's here's the clarifier though i want to say some anxiety is healthy we need anxiety in our lives anxiety is what helps us function if we had zero anxiety we would not do anything okay. anxiety is what keeps us going so uh, let's let's define that term a little bit because i because in you saying that i'm like okay what exactly is anxiety because for me it's kind of like the or I, I guess in the way that I feel it, and so maybe maybe this isn't anxiety, and I've just given it this word, but it's it's um, apprehension about a situation that I can foresee happening. Mm -hmm. Is that kind of what it is, or is it a little yeah? What yeah. what is anxiety? I would say anxiety has a unique fingerprint for every human being. Oh, okay. So there's social anxiety, there's generalized anxiety, there's mm -hmm. you know future future thinking anxiety. There's so many different types of anxiety. Okay. So I would say you're bang on with your statement of, yeah, 
that's anxiety apprehension okay. about a future event okay so then why do we use the same word if there's so many different things because they're too diffuse to define individually oh okay well yeah. fine <laughs> yeah it's it's like this continuum like if we were to try to find different names for each each type of snow yeah mm. yeah pretty much it would be the same idea okay all right so then um is there a particular uh i guess particular type that you're more interested in or is it just sort of a broad topic interest yeah i would say it's broad so here's the fascinating thing to make this even more complicated Ooh. anxiety and depression mm -hmm. i say are two sides to the same coin okay we separate them oh. but they're actually way more connected so we could potentially put them both into one word as well okay yeah that kind of makes sense because anxiety is like the 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 build up of tension and the the kind of the excitement isn't exactly the right word, but mm -hmm. I feel like technically mm -hmm. it's kind of the right word. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Whereas depression is is the reduction in energy and, and excitement. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah that, yeah. that totally makes sense to me. Yeah. So, so the fascinating thing, I love how you said that excitement. Oh, wait a minute. Not really. But yeah, excitement. And it's like, yeah, your, your body actually, the, the body signature for excitement and anxiety is actually very similar. Okay. And it's your interpretation of it that turns it into anxiety or excitement. Interesting. Mm hmm. Hmm. Mm hmm. It's kind of fascinating the way our mind interprets yeah. the emotions we're feeling based on the situation we're in. Okay. So, but that's kind of a. Yeah. Man, it, it's, it's really interesting and that's that's something that uh kind of uh, uh, learning about psychology and and the way that the brain interacts with the body and all this it's it's one of the one of the big reasons why i'm like oh yeah obviously we have souls because we can we can we can literally change our brains and change the way that our body functions just by thinking differently and if if the brain was the only thing that controlled our thoughts then we wouldn't be able to change the way that we think. So, but that's that's a little mm -hmm. bit that's a little bit of a side thing. But <laughs> but yeah, that's yeah. that's one of the main reasons I believe in or one a big reason I believe in the soul. Yeah, which but, is fascinating because yeah. you can watch your thoughts. Yeah, and so um, yeah. So what what sort of physical things does anxiety do? Um, you said it's it it's kind of the same response uh, towards excitement or anxiety. It's just the way that we interpret it. So mm -hmm. what it, what exactly does that do to the body or to the brain? Yeah. So again, like I said, unique fingerprint for everyone. Some people with anxiety. Dang it. Yeah. I know it's not an easy answer. For some mm. people, heart rate goes up. Some people, heart rate goes down. Some people get really, really hot. Other people get cold. Mm. It, it's a very, it's a different variable response because anxiety and depression are also so closely linked it's it's an interesting phenomenon to try to nail down okay what is what so then is is anxiety is that something that uh that you really need to be uh, like interacting with a psychologist or or that that you need to have um kind of a long-term look at because it's so uh based on the individual and the way that they react to it um I'm not sure exactly what my question is, but like it seems like that's something that you need, since you need to approach this on an individual basis, it needs to be kind of a long-term thing to deal with anxiety. Is that kind of right? Potentially, depending, depending on the cause of the anxiety, okay. depending on a lot of situations. So this is the way I look at it. Hmm. Um, there's, there's something called the window of tolerance, okay. and it's your level of arousal that you can handle. So if you imagine this window and we usually bounce around inside the window where our levels go up and down, which is our physiological arousal. Okay. So we have higher arousal sometimes during the day and lower arousal other times during the day. Yeah. When we go outside of the window, which is is over on the top, you go outside of the window, it's hyper arousal. Okay. Yeah. Where you go into basically flight or fight. It's that idea you're walking down the street and you see a bear. You're okay. you're gonna go into flight or fight. You're yeah. you're on full alert, you're gonna fight this bear. Or if you cannot fight this bear, you cannot flee from this bear, you drop right down into hypoarousal. So you go down mm. to the bottom of the window and that's your freeze mm. or play dead. Okay. So you can, there's two different types of freeze. You can be in high freeze where you're still fully aroused, but you're frozen. Or you can be in low freeze where literally you just, your whole system shuts down. 
Okay. So the play dead works if there is a bear and mm. he comes by. Number one, you're not moving, so he might not see you. Mm. Number two, if he does see you, he'll think you're dead, so he might leave you walk away. Mm. And number three, if he does decide to take a bite out of you, <laughs> you're numbed out. You won't feel it. Okay. So it's very, very adaptive. So with that picture, hyper arousal up on the top is anxiety. Hypo arousal is depression. Okay. And so we'll flip, we'll flip back and forth. Now, the mm. interesting thing, which is how I tied in before to developmental issues and or trauma, yeah. is when we go through any type of trauma, what happens is our window shrinks. Okay. So when our window shrinks, that means we're going to get pushed out of the window a lot quicker than the next person. Mm. So you'll go into flight or fight a lot sooner than you would have before. Mm -hmm. So say you meet a bear, you almost get you almost get mauled, you almost die. Mm -hmm. Now you're gonna be way more aware every time you walk around a corner, your heart rate's gonna go up just walking around a corner because you're like, there might be a bear there. Yeah, You're gonna probably flip into flight or fight with a tiny little sound mm -hmm. because you've been through trauma before. Okay. So that now relates, the bear is a convenient example, but mm -hmm. in real life that relates to in a social situation if you got made fun of. Yeah. Now you're going to go into flight or fight way sooner in this social situation because in the past you've been in a social situation where you got made fun of. 100% makes sense. So that's a lot of the cause of anxiety is developmental, could be developmental issues or trauma. Okay. And so sometimes you need to actually work through those issues so that you can re-expand your window of tolerance mm -hmm. so you don't experience abnormally high levels of anxiety and or depression. Okay. So that yeah, that that makes a lot of sense, and and then also the the solution to that re-expanding that that window of tolerance that that totally makes sense. So this is something that I've never understood. I've always heard this like you need to deal with your trauma, you need to deal with your past and what's what's happened to you or what you've done and all that. What does that even mean? How do you deal with those things? What does that mean? That's a really good question. Thank you. Um. So generally, depending on if it's trauma hmm. or if it's just past developmental wounds or hurts. Okay. Trauma is different because trauma actually is dissociated in your brain. It actually dissociates from, from yourself. So your okay. trauma is fragmented in parts of your brain. It's not actually integrated into who you are. Okay. I, that just makes me think of disassociative identity disorder. Uh, there's a, a couple of YouTube yeah. channels I follow, but, but okay. let's. We'll, we'll leave that aside, at least for now. Might yeah. come back to it. DID would be the extreme, yeah. the extreme situation, yeah. extreme but, trauma. But that that makes a lot of sense that it's that your brain like fragments that, that trauma off because mm -hmm. can't deal with it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so how about those things that aren't necessarily trauma? How do you deal with those things? So part of it is what, the way we, we get through difficult situations. So we, our brain is wired to like something happens and we should be able to process through. Okay. Um, the way we process through that is by being seen, heard, and felt. Basically okay. being validated, going back to our validation thing. Okay. So say I'm five years old mm -hmm. and I'm out on a playground and somebody says a mean word to me. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't have anybody in my life. I don't have any secure relationship to go talk to about it. Mm -hmm. I'm devastated, but I have nobody to talk to. That yeah. pain doesn't get validated. That okay. pain is actually going to get stuck and mm. I'm going to carry it for the rest of my life, basically. If that pain gets validated, mm -hmm. I have a parent there who's like, oh, I'm so sorry they called you that name. That was really mean. Mm -hmm. It's not true. Whatever, whatever. Yeah. I'll be able to move past that. Okay. Now, on the other hand, you could go to, that's just a minor example. Now, you yeah. go the extreme example of, say, someone in your life dies when yeah. you're five or six years old, mm -hmm. but yet you have supportive adults surrounding you who validate your pain, who walk you through it, who are there with you. Mm -hmm. You will not carry that pain into your future. Okay. So part of working through past pains is being able to go into the past and actually validate yourself. Feel the pain, mm. cry through it. It doesn't, it's not a necessary part is the crying through it, yeah. but actually being able to go back and validate whatever your pains were so that your system can now let go of them. Your okay. system can be like, oh, it's okay. okay. I don't have to be on hyper alert to make sure this never ever happens again. Yeah. And so that's, that's kind of that, that whole, um, part of the way that that would kind of manifest itself is that, is that, that bruise thing, uh, that bruise analogy, yeah. analogy that like. Part of why it's hard when you're 
much older to deal with those old pains is because your defenses get up mm-hmm. and you you recognize that pain or you you maybe not even recognize that pain but you feel that pain or you know that that pain is there and so as soon as anything comes near to that defenses up nope don't deal with it don't don't look at that don't touch that mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. so then is is the answer still the same it's just that you need to work your way past the defenses um for dealing with like childhood pain um yeah I mean, yeah. yeah so that's that's an interesting question and here this actually ties into triggers so okay. triggers are another fascinating concept of mm. psychology um so trigger basically is when we get triggered back to past pain so say when i was five okay. years old i got that mean comment yeah now i grew up and it just never was validated mm-hmm. now i'm in a social setting with say you and you make a joking comment to me that should cause me about a two out of ten pain mm. But suddenly I get triggered to being a five-year-old and feeling completely helpless. And when I was five, I experienced 10 out of 10 pain and it was never validated. Mm. So now though the pain in the moment should be a two out of 10 pain, I'm now feeling a 10 out of 10. Hmm. And so I get triggered and I react to you as if you were the bully on the playground five when I was five years old, which is totally, and we all have that when we have these responses that are totally irrational to the trigger Mm. where we're just like why did i respond so intensely to that yeah it's probably because we're actually feeling pain from when we were a kid so the way to work through that the cool thing about triggers is once we understand this Mm. now we can go back and actually heal those past hurts by offering the compassion and validation in that moment because the pain is triggered in that moment okay so we can offer that compassion validation we never got to ourselves in the moment we've been triggered by a two out of 10 pain and we're feeling the 10 out of 10, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that does make sense. Okay, so then how about when it, when it comes to traumas, how do you work through those? If they're, if they're kind of, yeah, disassociated from us, how do we, how do we fix those? That's the right word. Yeah, so traumas are a lot more, they're fascinating. I, mm. I love working with trauma. It's it's a lot more difficult. So the way I would do it mm-hmm. is I start with for, for sure giving you a lot of resources. So to make okay. sure that you're really resourced so I don't push you out of your window of tolerance. Okay. Because the, the, the hard thing with trauma, the reason trauma is so hard to resolve is because when you go back to the trauma, you get pushed out of your window of tolerance. Once you're out of your window, you're getting re-traumatized. Mm. And so if it's not done well, you end up just re-traumatizing yourself every time you remember that trauma, which doesn't fix anything. It just makes it worse every time you go in. So if you're afraid of a bear around every corner, the answer is not go around every corner? Uh, depends. Okay. I wouldn't quite say it that way. I would okay. say if you've been mauled by a bear... Mm then the answer is not to go back and think about that mauling over and over and over okay. because it's basically the the more the more emotional parts of our brain don't know the difference between imagination and reality mm. so every time you imagine if yeah. you've been traumatized every time you reimagine that trauma it's as if it's happening to you in the moment okay your body your brain your emotions don't know the difference hmm. and so that's the power of imagination which is which is really crazy. So we yeah. I you, I work with a lot of imagination because it's so powerful. Okay. And you can use that same power to heal past hurts. Okay. But the thing is so so to work with trauma mm-hmm. is I need to make sure you have enough resources that I can keep you grounded while we go back into that trauma and you don't get pushed out of your window. Okay. So then basically we're going to go back into that trauma and with you being resourced mm-hmm. and then and then we're going to actually sequence through each moment of the trauma but making sure you're staying resourced okay and if at any point you're getting you're you're not resourced anymore then we pull back and re-resource you okay i don't know if that explained it maybe that's too it does but i just i i don't understand what does it mean to be resourced like how do you how do you have a resource for a trauma so a resource would be so there's internal resources, there's external resources, there's there's like so many different types of resources. So a okay. resource would be I go play ping pong every evening. Okay. That's a resource if 
if it's something that helps you wind down, calm down. I go take a bath. I okay. go, I have healthy relationships in my mm -hmm. life. I go for a walk. Those are all resources, external okay. resources. Internal resources is a sense of confidence in yourself. So it's a sense of an internal resource in regards to relationships would be a sense of confidence in your ability to um, make relationships, um, keep relationships, communicate clearly, et cetera. Those are internal resources is your ability to do those things. So okay. resource is anything that helps us get through life better. Okay. So in, in regards to trauma, to create some internal resources, we usually work with something like, um, just as an example, let's say you're a snowboarder. Mm. And when you snowboard, let's say you did this great jump and you landed it perfectly. Mm. And that sense of pride in yourself. Okay. The way your body feels, mm. that is an internal resource that you have. And so we want to okay. take that sense of competence, that sense of pride, that sense of I can do this, mm. I'm capable. And we want to take that same feeling yeah. and bring it back to the past where you felt victimized and like you were out of control. Mm. So we keep that body sense yeah. of, no, I can do this. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm competent. I'm really good at this. Mm. I'm strong. Whatever it is yeah. that you need specifically in regard to the trauma. Okay. So then we carry that body feeling with you when we think about the trauma and then we can resource you back to that feeling so that you can actually handle the overwhelming emotions that come okay. with the trauma. Okay. I think I understand resources. Um, is that, so is that kind of another way of, of being well-resourced and having all these resources? Is that kind of another way to expand your, your window of tolerance? So then when you're dealing with trauma, it's more able to be kind of in that window so you can deal with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I hear what you're saying. So generally what we do is mm -hmm. the way you expand your window of tolerance is we bring you as close to the edge as we can mm. without you going over. Okay. So basically yeah. it gives you the sense because basically when your window of tolerance is small, we have this feeling of I can't handle anything. Mm. Yeah. I'm going to die type of feeling. Yeah. Like Makes I sense. can't handle this. And so when we push you right to the edge, you're getting close to that feeling of I can't handle this, but hard. you're still resourced enough. Okay. So that way we're, we're pushing your window so we stay right on the yeah. edge. And we'll we'll keep a whole session. Just stay right on the edge of the window where you're almost over, but you're still resourced enough that you can handle it. it sounds exhausting. <laughs> for the for the client or the clinician? <laughs> both. But it's it's interesting to me that the um how such a mental thing, like even even just um kind of putting myself in that situation or, or think imagining what these conversations can look like and what these this experience can look like it's 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 so weird how this mental thing can like i feel i feel exhausted or exhaustion from thinking about being in that situation it's just interesting because mm -hmm. yeah because i normally don't think about that necessarily with mental stuff but there you go yeah yeah it's the brain often the way the way we see and perceive the world that keeps us trapped Hmm. Right. So it's that feeling. Trauma usually ends up with this feeling of helplessness. I'm not in control. Mm -hmm. I can't, which is what holds us back. Okay. I want to pursue kind of along the same veins. I'm not sure if this necessarily has much to do with trauma, but like most things are out of our control. So how do you deal with that? That's a really good question. That's a really broad question. It's a very broad question. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. So being confident is not the ability to control things. Okay. It's the trust in our ability to, to adapt, to deal with whatever happens in the outside world that we're not in control of. So it's actually more the sense of control of ourselves. Okay. So when we feel like we have control of ourselves, there's a sense of safety in that. Mm. People that feel like they have to control their whole world outside of them, mm -hmm. those are the ones that usually have the least sense of control internally and so they yeah. have to control external situations to feel safe once we have that control internally we don't need control externally okay we're usually pretty easy to whatever comes we feel competent to deal with it because we know we have the internal resources yeah that was a really awesome succinct answer to a super broad question well done <laughs> thank you okay um I don't know. Is there anything else that you want to talk about? I, I, 
Yeah. I mean, this is this has been an absolutely fascinating conversation. And like I said, this is not really something that I that I know all that much about. I have ideas about psychology and the way the brain works and all that, but I'm I don't really know. I've never researched this stuff. So yeah. Mm-hmm. But is there anything else you'd like to talk about? It's a good question. I feel like we did a very, very broad overview oh, of yeah. like every topic in yep. psychology, pretty yep. much. Yeah. Um so I feel like we could go so much deeper into so many of these topics. Okay. Um, Is there one that you would like to at least go a little bit deeper in? There was while we were talking about it, but okay. I don't remember was, now. Is that, that validation, <laughs> shame, uh, trauma, resources? So shame is another one that we could, we never talked about like the shame cycle. Um, which is pretty simple, but basically the way the shame cycle works, this is what's tied to every, it maybe sounds a little random because it didn't flow with the conversation, but almost every addiction, shame is the core root of it. If you can break the shame, the addiction is broken, which is really fascinating. That is fascinating. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to go there. Pornography is a huge problem for most guys. How does shame look into that? That's a good question. So basically, it's that sense of, so interestingly enough, I talked to a Christian guy who became, I don't know, atheist, agnostic, I'm not sure what. Yeah. Anyways, he said when he was a Christian, Mm -hmm. he struggled with pornography. Okay. And he struggled and struggled and he couldn't stop and he couldn't stop. As Mm -hmm. soon as he became atheist, Mm -hmm. once pornography was permitted, he didn't need it anymore which I found hmm. very fascinating. Yeah, I was like, that is very interesting, but that ties into shame being what hold, holds us in. Because yeah. as soon as he became atheist or agnostic or whatever, yeah. suddenly there was no rule that porn was wrong. Mm-hmm. And as soon as it wasn't wrong anymore, he didn't need it. Okay, interesting. Um, so the way that works is there's this sense of, you look at porn, mm. you feel shame about it, well, first, first you look at porn. Yeah, makes you feel better at first yeah. for a moment. Then you feel really bad because you feel the guilt and the shame and all of those awful feelings. Yeah, and then you tell yourself, "I'm never going to do it again." And so you shame yourself so that you never do it again. Mm. The goal behind the shame is I'm going to make myself feel so bad about this that I never do it again. Yeah, and then you, and then because you feel so awful, mm. you need something to make you feel better. Now, Ooh. what makes you feel better? Mm. Porn. So you go back to it because you know it's going to make you feel better because you're already feeling really, really shitty about yourself. Mm -hmm. So you need something to make you feel better. This is the shame cycle in any addiction. So breaking that, breaking that addiction is we go back to the breaking the shame cycle, which is validation and ownership. Okay. Why do you think that that in particular is such such a common experience for guys nowadays? Is it just because that's that's kind of a guy thing to the brain being wired to want that or? Yeah, yeah it's it's interesting actually. It's becoming more and more common for women as well. It's mm. not yeah, just I, a guy I, I thing. Know. Yeah, um, but, but yeah. yeah, I think just how easily accessible it is now compared to how yeah. it was years ago. Mm. Um, and it's more common with Christian guys than non-Christians partially because it's a hidden thing. Mm. Whereas Christians can be extremely shame-based and judgmental on themselves in so many areas and mm-hmm. so it's the one area that nobody sees that's so interesting that that's uh, going right back to the start of the conversation the the ultimate answer to shame is god mm-hmm. it's funny that that's that's such a hard thing for uh, for a christian uh, for a christian guy to 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 find with actually having that relationship with god and just being like nope this is a problem and i can't deal with it sort of thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so then the the compassion piece in that, I think the way to break any addiction is in the moment to allow yourself to be loved. Hmm. It is the scariest thing, the scariest thing ever because the biggest fear is if I allow myself to be loved in the moment, I'm never ever going to stop. I'm going to get sucked into this thing. Okay. But the truth is once we allow love in in the moment, it actually breaks the addiction because hmm. it breaks that cycle. Right, because yeah. now you can feel loved instead of feeling awful, and so you don't need to go back to it. 
Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, it is one. It's 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 interesting when I work with my clients as we get mm-hmm. closer to that point, mm-hmm. the point of loving, letting love in. Logically, they're like, oh, yeah, 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 that makes sense. That's great. And then also when it comes to actually doing it, it's this like you're gripped with this fear. I can't. Mm. I cannot let love in because if I let love in, then I'm going to just do this all the time. Mm. And cause they feel like their shame is the only thing that's holding them back. But it's it's the lie. That's the that's grace a, versus works. That's a powerful lie. Yes. Man. It's grace versus works because mm-hmm. it's that thing. My works are what's keeping me from doing this again. Mm. Whereas grace says, no, I can be loved even though I'm doing this, mm. which means now you can let God's grace in and grace breaks the power of sin. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of fascinating. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that piece of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, sweet. <laughs> well, I think that's all the questions I have. Uh, so, uh, cycle of shame. You wanted to touch on that a little bit. Um, is there anything else about about that that you wanted to go a little deeper on? I don't think so. Like, it's just basically that point of allowing God's love in in the moment, mm. which is the scariest thing for anybody to do. But once once you can do that, it almost guaranteed breaks the cycle. It's that's so it's so weird that like I, I i guess it's a case of of the the logical versus the emotional it's so weird that it's so easy to be like oh yeah just this i there is this love and and it's free but the emotions being like no you can't <laughs> what the heck what's what's up with that why why is it so hard to accept love in certain situations what do you have a, a any Thoughts or insight? Yes. Love mm. makes us vulnerable. Mm. Love makes us vulnerable to being hurt. Because if we let love in, mm. then we can be disappointed. Mm. Then we can be then we can be broken. Mm. Broken, maybe not the right word, but we can be let down. Yeah. Right? If we let love in. And so most of us, our experience as kids, our parents let us down. It's just life in a broken world. We can have the best parents ever, yeah. but Welcome every single parent. Yeah has let us down, yeah. right? And so depending on the level to which your parents let you down, that's probably the level to which you have a hard time allowing God's love in. Hmm. Because it's scary to let love in because letting that in means, oh, you could disappoint me. Yeah. Oh, you could let me down. And hmm. so I'd rather do this in my own, in my own strength, in my own works, because then I don't have to risk getting hurt. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. This is fascinating. fascinating. Yeah. I, I can, I can see, yeah, this is, this is the entire point of this podcast is to, is to just, just find that, that ex- excitement and that interest and that fire mm-hmm. and, uh, see if it ignite, ignites something in you or in you, the listener. So <laughs> awesome. Uh, mm-hmm. any, any final thoughts or anything? I think, uh, we'll bring this to a close. I don't think so. I mean, it's just, I guess a point continuing on the love, letting mm-hmm. God's love in, letting others, other people's love in. Mm. Part of being able to allow that love in is being able to learn how to love ourselves. Mm-hmm. And as we learn how to love ourselves, it becomes safer to let another person's love in because if they let us down, we still have our own love. Mm. And, it's, and, it, and it has to be that, uh, that unconditional love because as soon as we start putting conditions on it, that's where the shame comes in all over again. Yes. And then, oh, sh- man. and then we're right back into the shame, shame cycle. Unconditional love is shame. Hmm. That is shame. Conditional love and shame are the same thing. And conditional love and self-hatred are the same thing. Okay. Yeah. When we give ourselves conditional love, basically it's self-hatred. Mm-hmm. All right. Beware. Mm-hmm. So I guess the kind of conclusion of the whole thing mm-hmm. is learn how to love yourself. Be compassionate to yourself. Validate yourself in that sense of we are our own biggest critics. Mm-hmm. And it's and and it's learning to be just a little more gentle on ourselves. Cause yeah. we'll get better results in the end anyways. Yeah. It's 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 funny because because again, I I kind of feel the the urge to be like, you don't be too gentle. <laughs> but but yeah, I trying to that, trying to offset, make sure I don't, you know, yeah. coddle people too much. <laughs> well, yeah, but I, but I think, I think you're very right that 
especially like we were talking about earlier we are our own worst critics and that's mm-hmm. that's such a that's such a truism that because because it is true because that's that's just the way that that humanity is mm-hmm. and having a little bit more gentleness i think in all cases could be could be really good so mm-hmm. awesome well thank you thank you so much for for talking through all this this has been absolutely wonderful and uh yeah uh thank you very much yeah you're welcome it was a lot of fun i enjoyed it i get to talk about the thing i'm most passionate about perfect all right (laughs) well thank you uh listener for listening and uh we will uh talk to you next time